Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Leaders Talk podcast series. My name is Desire Ajaman and I'm one of the many people whose career has been jump-started by the work of LTSB. So this podcast series is a part of LTSB's leadership initiative where you can hear conversations with leaders to explain the importance of purpose, diversity and of course leadership and much more. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Cheryl Stokes. Hello, how are you doing? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Like I said before, I was so excited to start this interview. I just thought like I had to start with a quote because this quote is just so amazing. It just really surmises like who you are. So it says, she has been described as having the mastered art of authentic leadership and she brings her light and wisdom to be an inspiration to others. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. I, I don't recall who said that, but thank them as well. <laughs> yeah, that was um Angela, Angela Errell. So she's another yeah, she's another DNI coach. Yeah, I just thought that was just such an amazing quote, and it kind of is just a testament to what people think of you. So how are you doing today? How have you been? I've been well. It's been, of course, this is just an extraordinary period of time for everyone. You know, 2020 was a year that presented lots of challenges with everything happening in the world from the global pandemic to in the U.S., the, the murder of George Floyd and all of the social activism. And for me personally, um, because I work across leadership and culture and diversity and inclusion, it's been extraordinarily busy because organizations are trying to figure out what do we do and I'm very passionate about um, helping make positive change. So yeah, it's, it's been a bit busy. Yeah, yeah, honestly, it must have been. I can imagine that this moment of time is really going to be a defining moment for your career as a whole, just because the world has been changing so fast. One of the things I really wanted to know is whether you knew you were going to go into this direction from a young age. Oh, interesting. No, I did not. So I, I started in engineering. I am from Flint, Michigan, the birthplace of General Motors. Um, I was always good in math and science. And so in high school, I just had a, a wonderful opportunity yeah. to work. Uh, I became a cooperative education student and that exposed me to engineering. And I always knew I didn't have a passion for it, but I come from a, a working class family. My, my parents weren't college educated. They were uh, what you might call blue collar workers. And my mother uh, was a hairdresser. My dad worked on the assembly line at GM. And so I knew that I just needed to do something that would cause me to earn a good living while I figured out what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And what was that defining moment when you knew that you had to do something else? Oh, interesting. I had graduated with my bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, and I left General Motors to work for an, an aluminum company, or as you would say, an aluminum company. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good. <laughs> so while I was working there, um, I, I just formed a point of view that the, the real challenges and opportunities in life and in organizations have less to do with the technology. We could figure out a technical solution, but it's people. It was the ability for people to collaborate, to, to work together, to value each other, to support each other. And I, I formed very early um, an opinion that if you could tap into the best in everyone, and if everyone really offered and, and worked to their full potential, then you could do anything. Yeah. And so I wanted to pursue 
um, a career path that would allow me to to work to help organizations unleash that that potential yeah can you tell me around the time period when this was because when I was doing my research I saw that you were a consultant actually um, like you interned to help with DNI in a corporation so this was very very early on before it was a trend this was so back in 1989 way back then <laughs> <laughs> I'm dating myself now. But when I graduated from undergrad and, and I was working at this this company, mm -hmm. uh, my second week of work, I was summoned to a mandatory class called Managing Personnel Diversity. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting, but I really didn't have a clue what it was going to be. And I went in this course and a person who was my main client as an engineer, the, the plant superintendent was the person that you know we did our work for. He looked at me in this class and he said, you know, I haven't discriminated against Cheryl because she's black. I've discriminated because she's a woman. I don't need any sexual harassment suits coming up here. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what, what have I gotten into? <laughs> what, I, what I realized is that there were so many misconceptions around what it would mean to engage with women and, and people of color in the workplace. And I just thought, you know, if I have an opportunity to help make things better, then how much better would not just my life be, but you know, the, the world be if we could all work together more inclusively. So that really started me on the path because that company to its credit, they were looking to change their culture and train a group of us as internal consultants around diversity and leadership and change. And so that's where I got my start in the late 1980s, early 1990s. <laughs> Wow, that, that's honestly such an insane experience. I can't imagine how someone would feel so comfortable to say that. Like, no one would say that right now at this time. Oh my gosh. Well, it was, it was a form of um, training at the time around diversity that was encouraging you to speak to what are the, the stereotypes that you might have about other groups and mm -hmm. what were your hopes and fears. And so they had done a lot to create a safe environment yep. for people to express their true feelings. And those were his true feelings, which it was very instructive for me to understand that because then I understood, you know, maybe why there had been hesitancy on his part sometimes to engage with me in a certain way. Right. Uh, and so it just, it explains so much, but yeah, it was quite shocking though to hear him say that. So exclusively, yeah. Can you yeah. tell me some of the other challenges that you must have faced in, in that time? Because being a woman for one in engineering and then a black woman on top of that in engineering, <laughs> oh my God, I give you yeah. a little applause for that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, it, it was quite challenging, but it was also quite empowering because in that particular era, the, the group of professional engineers, women, people of color, we formed what I now know was an employee resource group, but we called it the Support and Development Association. And we did it so we could teach each other what things we might need to know about the business and we could mentor each other. And it really became a First of all, an empowering group for us because we learned that, you know, we spanned this entire business. We, we knew quite a lot about it and we could help each other be even better. So that was it. But then we also figured out that we could help affect change. We knew this organization wanted to do something about this problem of not being able to attract and retain STEM talent that were 
females and minorities. And so we did our own investigation. We did exit interviews of all of the people that we knew, women and people of color who had left. Mm -hmm. And we did an analysis and we reported to the plant leadership on what they needed to do. Here's what people were experiencing. And so we gave them some very practical recommendations. And so we went from being this kind of secret group that were meeting for our own survival to being a group that actually was valued by the organization. And we were giving them information and recommendations to help, to help us all be better. So that's what I mean by it was also empowering, but yeah, definitely uh, challenges abounded left and right. <laughs> yeah, that, that must have been so innovative for the time, honestly, because I think it's an issue that a lot of organizations are starting to catch up to right now as well, given the current climate. Well, yeah. so when you, in general, approach helping an organization, how do you go about helping them? How do you assess where they need your support most? Wow, it's a great question. So I'm really delighted and privileged to be at Hydric and Struggles. Mm -hmm. And um, Hydric had done work around diversity and inclusion for some time. But last year, uh, in the first quarter of last year, we officially launched our diversity and inclusion practice. And in that practice, we articulate a, an approach that leverages really decades of experience that we have as a firm working on culture change. Mm -hmm. Because Heidrich uh, acquired a firm about 10 years ago, Sindelani Culture Shaping, founded by Larry Sin, who wrote the first PhD dissertation back in the 1960s that even named corporate culture a thing. Mm -hmm. And he put, to, he put forward a theory that organizations could really be more successful if they had healthy, thriving cultures. And so all of the work for decades that Sindelani did around culture shaping always had inclusion as an aspect of it. But what we did over the last several years was to look particularly at how do you build a thriving inclusive culture holistically how do you get leaders who can actually own and role model inclusive behaviors and have a, a real business case for diversity and inclusion that makes it not a matter of social justice or corporate altruism but really speaks to the business impact that you get when you embrace dni because you are in in effect raising engagement and when you raise engagement when everybody feels a sense of belonging because they're included they give that discretionary effort which gets you better business results and, and you probably know there's decades of research that show that you know equally well-managed diverse and inclusive teams and organizations outperform their competitors better business results so who doesn't want more innovation who doesn't want better quality decisions who doesn't want better business results yeah, yeah. That, that's the underlying um, emphasis of the approach that we take. Yeah, that's just been worded so beautifully. And it's something that I can definitely relate to now because like within my organization, we are trying to define how we can become more diverse and inclusive. And I think um, the way you just explained it made it so simple and it just put the business cause like so at ease for everyone. So, okay, so can you tell me then, how a leader can do this in the organization. So I just want to touch on something as well. So you co-authored a piece with Larry Sen and it's called The Moment, Leadership, Culture, Diversity and Inclusion. It's a wonderful piece. And you also coined the term shadow of the leader. Can you please tell me about the process behind um, defining that term? Oh, absolutely. And, and you picked up on exactly what I was going to say. I, I didn't personally coin this. This comes from 
uh, the work that Larry did and that dissertation that I talked about, um, basically it, it says that organizations become shadows of their leaders. So whatever a leader permits and promotes is what grows and becomes accepted in the organization. And it speaks to the, the influence and the outsized impact that we have as leaders. So what I say, what I do, what I measure, what I prioritize, all those things are in my shadow and the organization takes its cues from me. So as a leader, if I am conscious of the shadow that I cast, the fact that I am casting a shadow, everyone is watching me. Um, and in many ways they will emulate what I do. So if I can role model inclusivity if I can show that I respect and value everyone, if I can be welcoming to all aspects of diversity and really believe that it, it makes a difference in getting better results, then the organization will also um, echo the, those um, actions that I take or, or they'll echo the um, behaviors that I demonstrate. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's very powerful. So do you think that it should be just for the leader itself to be all of those things, or should it be everyone in an organization? It, it's a great question, and, and I don't, excuse me, I'm one of those people, I believe that everyone is a leader in some aspect. So I'm not um, speaking of leaders in terms of the hierarchical sense of leaders, <clears throat> excuse me, because we all lead from some capacity, whether you're leading in your your department or you're leading a family or you're leading in an organization outside of, of work or you're leading a business unit, you are a leader. Now, I believe there is a particular responsibility on those of us who do have um, more authoritarian forms of leadership. And so we have to be particularly mindful of our own behaviors because as I said, organizations become shadows of its leaders, good and bad yeah okay wow so okay i'm just absorbing all this information because i <laughs> just want to apply it to my own life as well oh my god okay i think this is being recorded um okay so can you tell me about okay actually i'd rather want to ask have you ever f felt that you didn't you didn't deserve the role that you were in as in you were dealing with something that was way out of your depths and you were very very uncomfortable Yes, I mean, so, you know, we were chatting by email and, and you wrote something about this idea of the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And we know that women, people of color are often um, beleaguered with that particular um, condition. Mm -hmm. And it just says, you wonder, how did I get here? Do I really deserve this? Am I smart enough? Am I capable enough? And absolutely, um, I will say, I've been very fortunate in my life um, to have a family that even though my parents weren't well-educated, um, they trusted and they instilled a sense of confidence in me that, you know what, you can do it, you can figure it out. And so from a very young age, I had those messages that you know, told me that I might not have all the answers, but there was a way to figure it out. So mm -hmm. I, I've just always believed that. Despite that, I've certainly felt imposter syndrome. I mean, I remember when I was, um, my undergraduate degree at GMI, it was cooperative education. So you worked for half the year and you went to school for half the year. And when you were working, you had to uh, do 
presentations about the work that you've done and, and, you know, present recommendations. And, you know, I was in product engineering working on cars for General Motors. And I did feel like, okay, do I really know what I'm doing? Maybe not. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I remember uh, at one particular time, I, I had to give a presentation to the chief engineer and all these folks. And I was totally nervous. And an older student, a mentor of mine, she was an Indian American woman named Sheila Jane. Sheila said, Cheryl, first of all, you've done the work. You've been here these months. No one knows it like you. She yeah. says, so even if you get up there and if you make a mistake, guess what? They'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. It gave me an odd confidence to say, you know, she's right. I'm the expert in what I've been doing. And, you know, I just have to share my thoughts and they may not be perfect, but this has been my experience. And that gave me confidence. And I've, I've sort of played that tape in my head over and over through the years when I'm about to speak to something or do something and there's a nervousness and I start to feel imposter syndrome creeping up. I remember, guess what? I am the expert in what I've done. No one else knows my experience but me. And these folks are interested in what I am able to share. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share it. Yeah. Wow. You're, oh my God. Anytime you talk, it's just so much inspiration just coming out. Like, it's I'm so glad. It just like naturally emanates from you. Do you feel like you've always been this type of person? Or was it kind of like how your parents supported you and made you feel very confident with choosing your own choices? I do think that's part of it. And I also think, I mean, you heard my story. I've been doing this a while. <laughs> just like, you know, I, this when I was doing this. And so I've, I've been very fortunate to have a career trajectory that's given me wonderful experiences. Um, I've had great mentors, yeah. some that I've sought out, others that sought me out. And so um, I just, I do believe, and again, this comes from my upbringing, that you pay it forward. So when you achieve some measure of success or when you learn something you share you help others because that's how we all get better yeah can you tell me more about what you want your legacy to be from all that you've done wow thank you that is a it's a deep question but it is one that's very much on my mind um so i, I started later in life with children so i have teenagers I have a son who will be 16 in May, and I have another one who will be 13 later this year. And um, part of the reason that I wanted them to live outside of the US, so you may know, uh, we lived in London for three years. Um, I ran a business unit for my former employer uh, in Europe from London. And it was important for my husband and I to, to live abroad because we wanted our boys to have a sense of being young men of color in a different context. Mm -hmm. America's wonderful and there are many, it's <laughs> many complexities to being a person of color in this context. We wanted them to be in a place where they could engage with more people from around the world. And I mean, what other multicultural place than London? I mean, my gosh, I remember when Preston turned, I guess it would have been 12, um, his birthday party had kids from like 12 different countries. It was just amazing. And we thought, you know what? In America, there certainly are people from many heritages, but it would have been not so simple to have a party with people with that diversity of background just because of the, the way that our country is situated. And, you know, they enjoyed the travel, they enjoyed learning different cultures. 
Um, they were the only Americans in their school because we were in the British school system. So yeah. we moved to the neighborhood and we sent them to the neighborhood school. That was our intent. And it was just an amazing experience that I hope shapes their life and their perspectives forever. And I'm sure it will. We, we still talk about it all the time. They still have friends that, you know, they contact through the playstations and the things that they do <laughs> on the consoles. So my legacy, um, I, I think about helping create a world and work environments where, you know, not just my boys, but other people's children and their children's children can really bring their whole selves to work and yeah. be authentically welcomed, supported, valued, and live to their potential. If I can help create better leaders, teams, organizations, if I can help shape more inclusive cultures, then I believe I'm doing a great service, to, not just to my family, but to society more broadly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's such a hard issue to try and tackle in the workplace because it's a human issue that happens outside of work, whether you're in it or not. And you're actually trying to change people's minds. Yeah. So I can only imagine, yeah, I can only imagine how difficult it must have been at some, like at some points. Like, have you ever been in an organization where you feel like, I don't know if the right people are here to be molded into leaders to take them further? Mm. That's a great question. So in, in my previous career, where I spent 18 years working for an organization, the one that sent me to Europe, um, there were occasions where clients would reach out and say, oh, we want to help our leaders do this. And, and you wondered about the true commitment. You know, are they, are they checking the box because they know they need to do something or are they really committed? And, you know, at the end of the day, I've tried to live a life where I refrain from judgment Mm -hmm. um, and I try to assume positive intent. So those, those two principles are really powerful ways to help you see the possibility. And, you know, when you're a consultant, you, you have to meet your clients where they are. You know, you can't hold some bar that says, you know, if you aren't this committed, then we're not going to work with you. And so are there organizations that I feel have been less committed? Absolutely. Um, were they my favorite organizations to work with? No. Um, and ultimately, those kinds of assignments, they, they are very transactional. So they just end, you know, they, they did what they needed to do. We, you hope that you made a difference. Um, and it's done. There have been clients that I've, I've elected personally not to work for uh, because it just didn't align with my own personal purpose and values. Mm -hmm. um, I won't name the industries, but there are particular industries where I just, um, I have an ethical, personal um, challenge working with. And fortunately, I've been in organizations that have respected that. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, a particular uh, country <laughs> where women are treated very inferiorly and they wanted uh, help around leadership. And I don't know that they would have accepted me anyway, but I, I made clear to my other employer that I, I would prefer not to go there because I didn't know how I would be treated and I felt there was a big dichotomy. Now, you know, did we still try to help them? Yes, because if we can move the needle and change mindsets even a little bit, then hopefully that makes it better for the women who live there or for the, you name the other underrepresented population. Hopefully it makes it better for them. Yeah. Touching on this, so of course a lot, um, a lot of corporations now are kind of doing the tick box 
all of that kind of stuff in regard to the killing of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. We've seen it with every single type of industry on social media posts. We can assume that there's a black intern somewhere just typing away for them because they don't know the necessary dialogue to communicate. Yeah, like that's exactly how I see it. And, and I cannot always feel that when it's not um, genuine. Mm -hmm. So I think that my question to you is, what has been your thoughts around seeing that, seeing that kind of turn and shift <sighs> focus? Yeah, so, you know, the article that you referenced earlier that I, I co-wrote with Larry, we wrote it because we really do believe that um, now, in this moment, there is a, an opportunity for change that's different. Um, mm -hmm. And we believe, hopefully, more positive than there has been in the past. Because the reality is, in America, Black men, Black people have been getting killed like George Floyd was killed for years. It has happened. But we were at a very human moment um, last year where we were home because of the pandemic. We were all working virtually. Uh, many of us were seeing this live or, you know, you saw the, the video replay. And I think that people were at a greater sense of empathy because we were all um, experiencing something, this global pandemic that already made us feel vulnerable and, and made us realize the the brevity of human life and to see a human life be devalued in the way that George Floyd was, was just very eye-opening for many. Um, so when it comes to organizations that want to tick the box and put a statement out that, you know, we're donating money to this or we've hired this many people, when, when organizations approach us, Hydrogen Struggles, and they, you know, want to go and, and make great statements, we always caution them before you go out and make noise about what you're going to do, better to make progress internally yeah. so that you are authentic. And, and our approach to um, helping accelerate diversity and inclusion in organizations really starts with the leaders. It's aligning and preparing leaders to authentically speak to the business relevance for DNI, why it's important to them personally, why it's important to their business, how it helps achieve their strategy and how it connects to their values. When you have leaders who can authentically do that, then they're ready to engage with the broader population and to go on this journey with them of personal change. But they've got to be purposeful as leaders in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sorry. Honestly, how do you just possibly put these words together oh. I could get a transcript and just like share it with everyone oh my goodness well thank you it was very kind and, and you know uh, it's for me it, it's more than work this yeah. is this is purpose that's why the passion is there yeah yeah exactly because again I, I think about my teenage sons you know they, they've got to go into a workplace at some point and, and I don't want them to go through what I've been through and what other generations before me have been through. I want them, you know, as, as Dr. King said, to be valued by the content of their character, mm -hmm. not the color of their skin. And I want them to be able to bring the content of their character to full bear in what they do and for it to be welcomed and embraced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've obviously done so much in your life and you've approached it with a very confident can-do attitude. You're here to listen to me because I'm an expert in my field and I don't need you to validate my story. But I want to know about... <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, I'm grimacing a bit. I'm like, I'm not sure if I've always like I'm an expert. But okay. <laughs> okay, so 
say that for now. <laughs> okay, but I want to know about who you have considered a leader in your life, who you have drawn inspiration from and strength from in times when you struggled yourself. Oh, wow. There are, are so many. Um, from a personal perspective, my parents have always been role models and leaders, even though, as I said, they didn't have formal education. Neither of them finished high school. Yeah. But, you know, they, they built a strong family. They worked hard. They instilled great values in us and a sense of, of responsibility to a broader community and a higher purpose that grounds me into who I am today. So, you know, definitely my parents and, you know, God bless, they're both deceased now. Uh, my mother recently passed away at 89, the, the last in her generation for my family. And I, and I wrote a tribute to the leadership lessons that I learned from her because, yeah. you know, she, she was a servant leader. I believe in servant leadership. She served her community. She served her church. She was the Boy Scout den mother. You know, she, she did things outside of just her day to day. She had strong faith and values, which grounded me as a person as well. Um, she mentored people. She believed in, she, you know, at 89, she had friends who were teenagers all the way to people her own age. And so, you know, I know there's power in reaching out to people across generations, which is why I'm so delighted to be a part of LTSB, because I just believe it's so important to pour into the generations behind you so that hopefully they do what you do and even more. And so those are things I learned from my mother. From a business perspective, I had, um, a mentor who is still a mentor and friend. Her name is Judy Rosenblum. She was the chief learning officer for the Coca-Cola company when I joined Coca-Cola um, in the mid nineties. And um, she became not just my boss, but my friend and mentor. Um, she, certainly I learned from working with her. I was her chief of staff um, for a while. And then I was an internal consultant more broadly in the company. Um, but I got a chance to understand up close and personally what the life of a, a senior executive was like in corporate America. And it, it gave me insight into what I wanted for my own career. Um, I learned from her. She was a sponsor, so she made opportunities open up for me. And in fact, when she moved to Duke to start a business, she called me to come with her to help start it. And so that brought me on that career trajectory and you know she retired from duke i continued on there did lots of things but she made just a, a huge and lasting impact in my life mm -hmm. and then i i had a, a sponsor um back in my days working in the aluminum company um who was the plant manager so when our employee resource group you know, gave our presentation about what the company could do to help uh, attract and retain female and minority talent he was really moved and he took action. And one of the things he asked for was reverse mentoring. So I, I had a chance to be his mentor, yeah. but he was mentoring me as well. And again, that um, he, he had very empathetic leadership. He knew and wasn't afraid to confront the problems that existed in the organization. And he set a standard that we were gonna do better. And so, you know, there are so many more that, that I could name, but those are corporate leaders and then personal leaders that have just uh, made a huge difference in my own life. Yeah. 
I, I really felt that when you were talking about your mother because it made me think of my own she as well she didn't have formal education that wasn't championed um in her house growing up but i i always say all of my strength just comes from her because i've seen what she's gone through but she's persevered she hasn't complained she's brought me greater opportunities than she ever had so yeah yeah that really really that really really spoke to me um yeah i, I also wanted to know what do you plan on doing in the future where do you want to touch on next Oh my goodness. It's certainly there's so much to do in this area of diversity and leadership and, and culture. And, you know, fortunately, Hydric um, has, has allowed a platform to continue to engage with um, clients around the world. Um, I'd like for Hydric and Struggles to be even better known for our work in leadership de development, particularly. Mm -hmm. um, I know that we have a tremendous and broad set of capabilities that many of our clients don't know. They think of Hydric as a search firm. They don't realize that we have this broader leadership advisory practice that includes diversity and inclusion, but leadership development more broadly um, and culture shaping and team and organizational work. So. Um, I'm hopeful that in my, my next years here at the firm, I can help us continue to grow our um, reputation, but our impact in, in creating, helping, you know, our purposes. We help our clients change the world one leadership team at a time. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that um, we can continue to do that with our clients and I can be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds wonderful. Can you tell me one key piece of advice that you'd love to give anyone listening, whether they're in situations where they feel like they're not motivated enough, they don't think they have the capabilities to be a leader, they've always been very quiet, like how can, how can they progress, like what would you want to say to them? Hmm. Advice about being a leader. So I believe that everyone is created with a unique purpose that there is something that we have inside of us that the world needs. And so look inside to find the unique thing or things that you offer. It might not show up obviously as obviously at work as you want it to, uh, but it might be the way that you engage with, you know, the, the football team in the neighborhood, or it might be the way that you engage with children, or it might be in how you care for elders, but there's something that you have that only you can offer. And then translate that into your workplace. Um, oftentimes people, and, and I did this for many years, I sort of walked around compartmentalizing. I say, well, you know, my you know, nine to five or six is work. And then after that, it's home. And you know, I don't necessarily mix these parts, but the reality is, and, and definitely COVID has showed us that we're whole people and we have to bring our whole selves to our workplaces and so look to how you can bring that thing that you're great at and that brings you joy into your work because when when it doesn't feel like work and for me this dni piece it, it's it's passion you know i know it's making an impact and it's definitely hard work but it doesn't feel like work because i i'm mindful of the the impact that we can help make in organizations and, and that drives passion and excellence and so i say look for the thing that brings you joy that you are uniquely good at and bring it into your work and that will help drive passion and excellence yeah every single word you say is poetry honestly 
<laughs> thank you yeah like you can just feel the passion coming from you when you speak about it i think it that's what a lot of organizations lack when they kind of approach dni they lack that human touch what we're talking about dialogue is all about yeah we're doing great we have this many you know 25 percent bane or lgbtq plus i think you know if more organizations focus on that human touch like you would see more people having that higher engagement as you were talking about before yeah. Absolutely. I mean, no one wants to just be, there's a, a principle in our DNI work where we talk about um, how we treat people. And the question is, are you celebrating diversity? Are you really seeking out the unique qualities that, that everyone brings to the table and celebrating it, affirming people? Or are you tolerating or worse, ignoring? No one wants to feel that they're being tolerated. If I say, oh, desire, I tolerate you. Well, that doesn't inspire you to do great work. So really as leaders, you know, we have to look for ways to celebrate and to allow people to bring their best selves to work, their whole selves to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really powerful note to end on. I don't want this conversation to end. Like you've been absolutely amazing. I've honestly learned so much and I can't wait for other people to hear what you've had to say today. Oh gosh, Cheryl. Well, I'm so glad to have met you. Thank you so much for doing thank this um, podcast interview. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And I look forward to um, getting to know more about you and um, seeing all the great things that I know you will do in your thank career. You. Thank you. Okay,